0: Good morning. The teaching text for today comes from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus came, found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first his did not, disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been, happened to him, had been written about him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because, that they, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went on to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Happy Palm Sunday to you. I want to begin sharing something that uh, grabbed my heart this week, and uh, it's from Craig Spencer, who is the director of global health and emergency medicine at New York Presbyterian uh, and Columbia University Medical Center, and. He documented a day of his experience as an emergency room doctor in New York City, and uh, the account was published in the Washington Post on March 24th. You can go back and read the, the whole account, and certainly since he's, he's written this, the intensity has not lessened. Um, and so here's, here's how he begins. Wake up at 6.30 a.m. Priority is making a big pot of coffee for the whole day because the place by the hospital is closed. The Starbucks, too. It's all closed. On the walk, it feels like Sunday. No one is out. Might be the freezing rain or it's early. Regardless, that's good. Walk in for your 8 a.m. shift. Struck by how the calm of the early morning city streets is immediately transformed. The bright fluorescent lights of the ER reflect off everyone's protective goggles. There is a cacophony of coughing. You stop, mask up, walk in. You take sign out from the previous team, but nearly every patient is the same, young and old, cough, shortness of breath, fever. The staff is really worried about one patient, very short of breath, on the maximum amount of oxygen we can give, but still breathing fast. You immediately assess this patient. It's clear what this is and what needs to happen. You have a long and honest uh, discussion with the patient and with her family over the phone. It's best to put her on life support now before things get much worse. You're getting set up for that when you're notified of another really sick patient coming in. You rush over. He's also extremely sick, vomiting. He needs to be put on life support as well. You bring them back, two patients in rooms right next to each other, both getting a breathing tube. It's not even 10 a.m. For the rest of your 12-hour shift, nearly every hour you get paged. Stat, notification, very sick patient, short of breath, fever, oxygen, 88%. STAT notification, low blood pressure, short of breath, low oxygen. STAT notification, low oxygen, can't breathe, fever all day. Sometime in the afternoon you recognize you haven't drunk any water. You're afraid to take off the mask. It's the only thing that protects you. Surely you can last a little longer. Dr. Spencer goes on with his account. Eventually he gets to the end of his shift He says you walk out and take off your mask. You feel naked and exposed. It's still raining, but you want to walk home. It feels safer than the subway or bus. Plus, you need to decompress. The streets are empty. This feels like nothing, like what was going on inside. Maybe people don't know. You get home. You strip in the hallway. It's okay. Your neighbors know what you do. Everything in a bag. Your wife tries to keep your toddler away, but she hasn't seen you in days, so it's really hard. Run to the shower, rinse it all away, never happier. He talks some more about the shortage of supplies and the seemingly never ending sounds of ambulances, which have become our norm in these days. And then finally, he ends the account. You might hear people saying it isn't real. It is. You might hear people saying it isn't bad. It is. Do your part, stay home, stay safe. And every day, I'll come to work for you. Tears came to my eyes several times as I I read Dr. Spencer's account. There's so much in there. Um, The the courage, the the sense of duty, the care, uh, the endurance uh, that a day like that takes. uh, The simple appreciation for a quiet street and a moment to breathe and decompress. Uh, the tender moments of love to be with those you care about, but also to try uh, to protect them. As you read his account, it's so it's so moving. But then you you zoom out and you realize this is just one story in thousands upon thousands of stories in in the millions of people who are now uh, affected by this this pandemic. It's hard to fathom, and there there's something that. Uh, Strikes a chord in our soul when uh, we hear of those who are willing to put their lives on the line to save others. Those stories where someone is running into the danger when everyone else uh, is is running away. And I just couldn't get it out of my head as Palm Sunday was uh, approaching and is now now here. I just kept returning to Dr. Spencer's words. He, He used these words twice in the account. You stop, mask up, walk in. I think that it's uh, nearly impossible to know what we fully mean when we say that a human being is made in the image of God, that we carry the Imago Dei. It's it's really beyond description, but... Uh, If we start to move towards it, it means a spark of spiritual life. It means that we have the capacity for relationship at the deepest level. It means um, that in our soul is beauty and abundance. Um, It means that every human being has dignity and worth. Um, It also means that we have the capacity for courage in the middle of, of danger. Um, it means that we, we are a race of people that, that makes art uh, in the middle of chaos and pain. We are those who, who like our God and whose image we are made um, fills the void with, with creativity and, and meaning. It means that we are those who laugh and cry and light a candle and sing a song even on a day where uh, we, we attend a funeral. Uh, Saint uh, Irenaeus of Lyon famously said, uh, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. I love that. I, I think that's not all that the glory of God is, of course, but it's not less than that. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. So Palm Sunday is a day where we, are re- where we mark, remember, and celebrate Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on what we now call Holy Week. And... On one level, he's been, he's been coming to this moment for his whole life. He enters the city uh, even though he knows what awaits him over these coming days. He knows what the end of this week is going to hold. And it's almost like he stops, <laughs> masks up, and walks in, uh, even though he knows it's gonna cost him everything. Uh, so if this story is, is brand new to you and, and you're joining us and have found our church online uh, and and Trinity Grace is not your church home, we're so glad you're here. We welcome you. Uh, if this story is new to you, I think it will be meaningful. But if you've heard this story every year for your entire life, I, I wanna look at it from a couple of reference points, from a couple of angles uh, today that I, I think will help us move into it uh, in in a unique way. So I hope as we do this, my, my main prayer is that you would sense the love of God is poured pouring out to you, that the love of God is available to you on this Palm Sunday. The love of God is inviting you in. So I want to look at uh, three elements of this story, the the palms, um, the the jaws of death, as dramatic as that is, um, and then a moment a little later in the week where there's a collapse uh, in, in a garden. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, it says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting Hosanna. So Jesus is coming into the city. It says, they took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting Hosanna. This is not your typical greeting. I don't know anyone that I know who's like, oh, my friends are coming over. Let's get the leaves and go scream at them. That, that just uh, does not happen in our, in our normal scope of things. So obviously there's some ceremony to this moment. There's some um, uh, symbolism in this moment, but what is it pointing to? So that's the first thing I want us to look at with a, a little detail is, what are the palms of Palm Sunday about? And I have to confess, I'm a little bummed that we aren't all meeting together and passing out our palms like we, we normally do. There's always some pretty impressive origami shapes that get made with the, with the palms every year. But this is clearly a symbolic, a symbolic moment. So on the surface, we, pe- we see these people waving the branches, laying down their cloaks, crying out, Hosanna. And then the most literal translation of what they're saying is, we beg you to deliver us. There's a desperation and intensity to their cry as Jesus is coming into the city. They're praising him as being sent from God. They're calling him king. But even as this whole elaborate, you know, symbology and and, and ceremony is going on, it's not exactly clear if, if those who are participating in it know fully what 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 they're doing. Actually, they're pulling together symbols from the three major, uh, three of the major Jewish holidays throughout throughout the year. And actually, I want to show you that they're doing even more than that. So the scene is like a mixture, and it's it's um it's not quite as bizarre as someone dressing up as Santa Claus and then hiding eggs everywhere and then shooting off fireworks uh like like some you know character who works with joe exotic at his zoo um But it is an interesting mixture. So uh, in Israel's book of the priests in in Leviticus, uh, there's this sort of obscure reference um, to using palm branches in one of Israel's yearly festivals. So in case you haven't read it in a while, Leviticus 23, uh, starting in verse uh, 39. "'So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, "'after you've gathered the crops of the land, "'celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. "'The first day is a day of Sabbath rest. And the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from the luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Leviticus 23, uh, a passage you probably haven't read (laughs) more than once in your life if you've ever read it, and Uh, The Lord, your God, Yahweh says, get the leaves from the luxuriant trees and use them in your worship. Hashtag luxury leaves. Let's get that going. And you do this for what? You do this for the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember when you lived in temporary shelters on your way from Egypt to the place of promise. Remember how God provided for you. Remember that time. But the only problem with this in John 12... And the palms is that Jesus isn't coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. He's quite famously coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, which is a different ceremony at a different time of year altogether. Uh, when they remembered, um, at Passover, they remembered the blood of the Lamb that saved them from death. So they have, they have the luxury leaves, but they have them on the wrong holiday. And as a matter of fact, there's a third holiday that comes in uh, that that needs to be taken into account because by the time of Jesus, uh, the holiday that palms were most notably associated with was actually Hanukkah. Uh, Just 150 years before the time of Jesus, uh, a Jewish military leader uh, with a fantastic nickname, uh, Judas Maccabeus, who who would come to be called the Hammer. Um, He made a heroic stand. He pushed out some foreign invaders. Uh, Many thought this is the golden ages. Finally, uh, the promises made to Abraham coming true for us. And as as Judas Maccabeus um, came into Jerusalem to become king, and he was going to rededicate the temple that had been defiled, his followers came out to welcome him in, and they waved palm branches saying, welcome our king, welcome our rescuer, welcome the one who has delivered us, who's going to reestablish our place of worship, the city of promise. Later, as they were uh, dedicating the temple in, in that, that, that same moment, they only had enough oil uh, for the lights to be lit for one night, but God miraculously extended the oil, and this is what we celebrate at, at Hanukkah. So in this one moment that is absolutely chock full of meaning, we see the palm branches being waved, the cloaks being laid on the ground, and, and somehow it's a glimpse of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a glimpse of Passover, and it's a glimpse of Hanukkah all in one. The gospel writer doesn't want us to miss Um, that this Jesus is deliverer, is our shelter, is somehow also the lamb who is going to be slain so that death will lose its final hold on us. He is the conquering king. Um, He is coming to make the place, uh, the house of God, a place of welcome. The next scene we're going to see with Jesus is that he goes to cleanse the temple and make it a place of welcome, a place of prayer. That's quite a lot to get out of the symbol of the palms. And last year, you just probably folded them into an airplane or to, or, or to a sphere or something. I'm going to give you one more thing, though, uh, from Revelation 7. And this is something I had not noticed. I, I will give you full confession. Um, uh, the first week of quarantine, I was a little uh, swimming around in my head about what to do. And I watched Contagion. Uh, I started Grapes of Wrath, um, and I began reading uh, revelation and uh, even as I say that, it feels a bit too dramatic for me, but there was a part of me that was just like, Ah, what do I do? I want to look back at like a time where things were really tough and difficult in in American history I, I, I want to look look uh, at an imaginary you know movie that that shows what could possibly happen in a scenario like this and, and I want to read Revelation in case there 's something um, that I, that I missed in there and and For me, there's something that's a little bit comforting about looking and taking stock of the possibilities, even if they might be bad. Um, I realize that's not everyone's strategy and I totally respect that, but I noticed a detail in Revelation 7 that I hadn't remembered. So this is Revelation 7, verse nine. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Did you hear that? This is Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday in heaven. All of a sudden, we're not just dealing with Israel's story. Even all the threads of Israel's story being pulled together, this is is more than that. This is more people than you could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. This is a multitude. And and the angel tells John, who's having this vision, that this multitude is a people who've passed through immense difficulty uh, on, on the earth. And they have become those who've learned to say, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They, they, they are praising the, the, the Palm Sunday in heaven, uh, mirrors aspects of the Palm Sunday that we see in, in John 12. They're, they're praising this prophet, this priest, this king who's our Redeemer. They're, they're seeing he's somehow deliverer and shelter and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, sin of the world and the victorious one. This is all the threads of the story coming together. This procession on Palm Sunday is one of of love, of sacrifice, of obedience, of grace, of of promise. There is so much in the palms of Palm Sunday. And meanwhile, in Jerusalem, uh, across town, more than likely on this exact day or one of the days before or after this day, uh, Pilate, who we're going to meet a little later in the story, um, is marching the Roman legion from Caesarea by the sea into Jerusalem because it's Passover. And Passover is a festival where uh, the Jewish people celebrate their deliverance from a mighty uh, you know, military dominant empire in, in Egypt. And so just in case anyone gets an idea uh, of, of trying to incite a revolution or a riot, um, Pilate has this strong show of of force. And so you can imagine him riding in on the on the back of a war horse at the front of a column of soldiers. And this is what everyone expects a king to look like. And here's Jesus coming in on a borrowed donkey over the cloaks of the poor that have been laid in honor, and yet somehow holding the narrative of the whole world. The palms of Palm Sunday mean a lot. But so does the fact that Jesus is walking into the jaws of death. And he knows it. He's walking right into a trap and he knows it. All the way back in Luke 9, we, we've seen this. Luke nine fifty one says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. I kind of like the poetry of the older translations. They, they say he set his face like flint. He was utterly determined to move forward to this moment, even though he knew what it was going to cost him. He's been trying to warn the disciples that this is, is going to come, but they don't seem to get it. Uh, in fact, our text says that exactly. At first, his disciples didn't understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that things had the things that had been written about him and things that had been done to him, For me, this is a comfort, right? If you maybe find yourself in a situation where you don't totally understand everything that's going on or how the pieces fit together or what God could possibly be up to in this moment, I love the fact that those who are walking with Jesus closely still felt that same thing. They still didn't fully understand everything that was going on until later. But we know that Jesus knows. We know because just earlier in John 12 when he's anointed in this sort of bizarre scene where a woman comes in with a uh, uh, some perfume that is, that's so extravagantly valuable that it was worth a year's wages and she breaks the bottle and anoints him with this perfume and, and Jesus doesn't stop her and, and seems you know it's like should this money have been given away to help someone else and and he seems to indicate that she is anointing him for his burial and then he's trying to Uh, throughout his ministry, he he often doesn't let someone tell the story of a miracle that he performs for them. But now he's done his most dramatic miracle in healing or, or rescuing, bringing back from the dead his friend Lazarus, plucking him actually from the jaws of death. And the word has begun to spread and Jesus allows it so that he comes into Jerusalem and he knows what he's walking into. He's allowed the word to spread. Why would he do this? Why would he walk into a trap? Why would, he, why would he allow those who are seeking his life to close in on him? Why, why would he limit his options? Why would he not take many of the paths of escape that seem to be open to him? Why would he go all the way to being nailed down in one place? Why would he die? And that's a question Palm Sunday puts on us, it makes us to ask again. And I think the answer is that he wants to make that parade in Revelation 7 a reality of people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every group from all over the world, no matter where they're starting, that they can be brought into the family of God, share in his redemption, participate in his kingdom forever. The simplest answer, he walks into this trap for love, for you and I, to win this worldwide victory through suffering love, not through the dominant might of a pilot or, or a Caesar or, or any of the other sort of military powers that have risen up for a generation or two and kept the, kept the peace you know, by, by, by dominating others. This is a different type of revolution that Jesus is beginning. So on Palm Sunday, I just wanna to say to you from the bottom of my heart and from the bottom of this story, do not doubt that you are loved. Do not doubt how extravagant the love of Jesus is for you, the the cost he is willing to pay to bring you in and make make you family. The last thing I want you to notice is just a little while later in this week, uh, this man who's riding the donkey, who's receiving the shouts of praise, uh, he's gonna be on his own and he's gonna collapse in a garden. We get the sense that the full cost, the full scope of, of our redemption and, and what it's going to require from him is laid out before him. And there's this prophetic language of the cup used. And Jesus says, if there's any way this cup could pass from me as he's in the garden of Gethsemane, it's a cup of judgment, a cup of agonizing separation. Uh, he's in anguish and, and the pain is intense. He's, it's physical pain. It's emotional pain. It is spiritual pain it is crushing. And right in the moment when he needs his friends the most, he's on his own and they fall asleep. He's looking for a possible way out and he falls to the ground. It says he's so anxious that he sweats drops of blood. He pours out his his heart, honest, trembling, vulnerable. He pours out his soul in prayer. If that was the end of the story, it would be understandable. Like it's too much. It's too much for him to take on. It's too much to, to, to move forward in that moment. But somehow, from that moment in the garden, after he collapses, Jesus gets up and goes forward anyway. Why? Why? That's the question of Palm Sunday, why? And, and the answer is the love of the Father, this conspiracy in the, in the very character of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to, to repair the world and to move out towards us. It is profoundly, the answer is for love for you and I to call us sons and daughters. It is the commitment to heal and repair the world it is a commitment to that, that future vision of Palm Sunday in heaven where we will we'll worship and say, salvation belongs to our God. I love how Hebrews 12 gives you a little clue of what got Jesus off of his, his, his knees after he collapsed in the garden. We've said this before, but it bears repeating. Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What got Jesus up onto his feet in the garden of Gethsemane? What carried him forward? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross He's completing this plan that he had with the Father. He's, it's the joy of healing and repairing the world. Do you know how much Jesus loves to heal and to repair and to restore and to pour out mercy and to pour out kindness? The joy of calling you and I son, daughter, knowing that you're not just made in the image of God, you're adopted into the family. Palm Sunday, amongst all else that it does, it reminds us that Jesus is the one who pulls all the strands of the story together. He is the deliverer. He is the lamb. He is the king. And he collapsed in the garden, but he got up for the joy set before him. It tells us for certain that God loves us enough enough to walk into the jaws of death. That is something worth waving palms about. That is something worth throwing cloaks on the ground, shouting, worshiping, but it's also something that is worth living lives of love ourself. This, this, this Jesus who gives us his spirit so that we can walk in his way is, is saying, I want you to journey with me. I want you to lay down your life and share in my love. Now this week with the church all across the world, we are on this journey towards the cross, Holy Week. And I want to invite you to a couple practical things for you to join us uh, this week. Um, Actually, every day of Holy Week, we're going to be having live noon reflections um, that you can jump on for just a few minutes. We're going to share where Jesus was and sort of the journey towards that final meal and the arrest and the betrayal and the cross on Good Friday. And we're going to just share a little scripture, pray together. It'll be a moment for us to sort of have our hearts unified uh, on, on the way towards the cross and the resurrection that we celebrate next week. Another something I'm very excited about is on Wednesday evening through Thursday evening, so a 24 hour block of time that's leading right up to that moment where Jesus washes his disciples feet and, and they share that meal together. Uh, we're gonna to be joining with 24 other churches across uh, the city, um, and we're going to be fasting and praying for God to pour out healing and mercy, uh, spiritual awakening, to care for the most vulnerable, to roll back the tide of this disease. So in the middle of this very unusual Holy Week, unprecedented in our, in our lifetimes, uh, we're gonna be joining together with churches all across the city um, to pray. Our particular hour in the prayer wall is gonna be Thursday, 4 p.m. Uh, to Thursday, 5 p.m. So we're gonna really own that hour and press in as a Trinity Grace Church family uh, into prayer and intercession during that hour. But we're gonna be fasting that whole uh, 24-hour block. I wanna invite as many of you as are willing to join us in that fast to seek God I just, I'm so convicted that even if we have to stay home and that's the most loving thing that we can do, there are still ways that we can stop, uh, mask up and walk in. Uh, we can walk in intercession. Uh, we can participate in a revolution of love, um, an expression of God's kindness and mercy, N- kneeling on, on, on the floor of our apartments or on our, on, our, on our couch or in our prayer closet. We can join in what God is doing. Um, even in the midst of this, this crisis, we can walk in love, look for places, um, even if we're scattered and even if we're isolated, that we're not alone and that we're moving out towards one another to continue to be kind, merciful, generous, Christ has done this. He's walked into Jerusalem. He's taken on all that he knows that is going to represent for us. And we are his. We are his because we know the end of the story. And so we can walk with him. We can stop. We can mask up. We can walk in. I pray for you on this Palm Sunday. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the extravagance of your love that you have poured out for us. I thank you that you are willing to walk into Jerusalem, that you are the one who pulls all the threads of the story together. You are our redeemer. You are our our shelter. You are our deliverer. You are the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I pray we would know you as you really are this Palm Sunday and this Holy Week as we move towards Easter, I pray in the name of Jesus that everywhere this is being listened to, that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit, that you would give an embrace of your love. We ask you in Jesus' name to roll back the tide of this disease, to, to have mercy on us, to strengthen those who are on the front lines of of, of caring for the sick to strengthen and give wisdom to those who have leadership decisions to make. We pray for mercy. We pray that you would roll back the tide of this disease, God. But we also pray for spiritual awakening as we're being stripped away in so many different ways. We pray that our, our hearts would, would, would beat for you, would long for you, and that you would meet us, God, in, in this place. We, we bless you, we worship you, we wave our palms and we say, welcome, King. In Jesus' name, amen.